Well, once again, it's time to go inside EMS. I am your host, Chris Sabalero, flying solo today as Kelly Grayson is on special assignment, doing whatever special assignment stuff that he does. And he's doing his secret squirrel stuff. I don't know what it is, but uh, we're going to have to talk to him about it and see if we can find out what this special assignment is that he keeps working on. But, you know, today when we uh, have a really great topic to talk about, and, you know, we, we talk about it all the time, man. And, you know, first responder mental wellness. I don't like to call it mental health, you know, but I want to call it mental wellness. I think we need to change the paradigm of how we address what's going on inside our career field. And, 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 and mental wellness has been a challenge for a lot of years, not even going into the COVID and really causing the challenges that were going on, uh, you know, with responders. I mean, having to do PPE every single call and not wanting to bring this, you know, disease home to their families and people sleeping in their cars and people being, you know, disassociated from their family as much as they could. And it becomes really, really challenging. Well, today we are going to dedicate this show to talking about mental wellness and we're going to talk about some of the resources that we can. And today I have got a guest for you. He is Dan Phillips. He is the National Director of Responder Health, and he is going to share his expertise with us. Dan, I want to welcome you to Inside EMS. Thank you, Chris. Uh, very happy to be here with you today and, and always, always love talking about the topic of trying to keep our, our first responders healthy. You know, so maybe just a little bit about your background for the folks who may not know you. We're going to talk about responder health a little bit later in the program, mm -hmm. but just give us a little bit of background of how'd you get into this topic of dealing with responder mental wellness? Yeah, uh, you know, it was my own journey. Obviously, if you would have talked to me 30 years ago, this is not something that I would have um, e either selected or, or assumed that I would be doing uh, at the end of my career. But it was my own journey of, of, of going through brokenness. And um, you know, I, I retired in 2018. Uh, I had 28 years in law enforcement, uh, three years with the sheriff's office in Texas, and then 25 years as a special agent with the U.S. Marshals. So it was, um, you know, went from my first three years of, of regular patrol and, and the, the, the traumas that, that come with that. And then, uh, you know, working high threat, uh, fugitive stuff and getting involved in some things. Uh, you know, I had involved in, in, in several shootings, uh, had some friends that were killed in the line of duty, um, just, just went on my journey of what I considered to be, you know, normal for, for what we do and what we see and deal with. And, um, my breaking point was, uh, I was, I was a first responder at the Pentagon at 9-11. My, my first day ever in DC was December 10th and, uh, was, uh, you know, whether it's the right place or the, the wrong place happened to be, uh, right there in the parking lot when the, when the plane hit on the, uh, the morning and uh, was there for 36 hours and then, you know, on the initial scene and then uh, was there for the next six weeks doing the recovery mission. And that really, uh, that was the first point in my career where I realized I did not have the skill set. Uh, I'd never been trained. You know, when I came on early 90s, it was definitely a suck it up mentality. And uh, I, didn't have, I didn't have the skills to get through it. And I, I pushed through, tried to push through on my own for two and a half years, uh, and, and it was ugly. You know, this is something um, that I had to learn along the way that, you know, emotional health and wellness is a perishable skill, something you have to train and practice. And it really wasn't something that we ever talked about. And, and you know, I think I had a, a half day of training in the academy of, hey, this is a hard career and it'll affect you and your family. 
uh, and we're all here and we're, you know, so you'll always have people to support you. But when people don't really know what you're going through, that's, it, it's hard to, to know where to reach out when you don't have the skills. So, um, you know, I, I, I went on my own journey in 2004, 2005, getting healthy and, uh, and then just became a huge proponent of we, we need peer, peer teams. We need access to specialized care. Uh, the things that we go through and see are not what the normal, you know, normal person person does on a daily basis. So it, um, it was just, it was just me getting healthy and then trying to give back, uh, to the, the to the folks that helped me. Uh, I was, uh, our, the, you know, we, we helped, uh, I was part of the group that helped create the critical incident response team, the CERT team for the Marshal Service, which was our peer support team. And I was the first chief of that program and, you know, worked out of DC and responded all over the country and just saw a lot of the same things of, of people going through stuff uh, when we would go out and respond and, and really just saw the need for, uh, there's gotta be something above what employees assistance programs offer above what EAP offers, because that's not enough for, for first responders. So, uh, when I had the chance to retire and had my, my 25 years in, I retired at 50 and started responder health, really trying to focus on the specialty of, you know, making sure that our first responders have truly confidential access to services, uh, to talking to a, a crisis peer line, as opposed to calling a counselor to making sure they have vetted counseling, vetted treatment centers, and then, and then putting out training, uh, you know, making it a, a requirement. Well, not, not a requirement because, uh, you know, departments have to decide, but what we do with our clients is we give eight hours of, of free training on mental wellness and resiliency every year. So trying to normalize that piece where it's okay to not be okay, but it's definitely not okay to just stay there. I think that there's a lot of things to try to unpack in that, uh, you know, that opening. Yeah. I mean, the, you know, but uh, one of the things that I think that, uh, you know, you talked about is the need. And I think that that's really important. But I want to take you back. I mean, because you said something that was really interesting and it really kind of popped this question into my head is, you know, you went through a lot of different things and a lot of different experiences in your career. And you probably didn't feel this PTSD. You probably didn't feel this stress right away, but it was really really kind of a boiling point that you finally got to whatever it was to say, you know what, something's not right here with me. And I think that there's a lot of us out there that have this type of, uh, you know, approach, right? So I guess the question I yeah. want to ask you is that there may be folks out there right now that are feeling this PTSD and they don't know what it's called, or they don't know how to make sense of these feelings. Can you give some yeah. people some tips as to what they may be feeling to put a name to exactly what's happening? to them yeah i mean absolutely there i always say I, I i had no idea what ptsd was um i i knew i was emotionally broke you know it, it was I, I came back to to texas after you know was, i came back from dc and it was november of, of 2001 and yeah i couldn't sleep um i i, I was unsettled you know and i, and I tell everybody it's like it, it, it was the point for me where I realized that my soul had ero eroded to a point that I didn't recognize myself. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's that fuzzy thinking. It's not being able to have conversations with your kids or your spouse because everything is, is, is you're hypervigilant and you can't, you really almost can't get out of that state. Uh, so it, it was, um, you know, it, it, it was a really hard and, and scary thing because 
you know, one of the things that I, I, I tell our, our, our EMS and firefighters and cops all the time, I think the hardest thing in our career is that you know, you know you're going to change. You know the job's going to make you a little cynical. You know you're going to see tough things. But you have no idea what that's going to look like. And so when you're three to five, seven years into your career, you're not the same person. But you look around, and I think probably the hardest thing is in our community. I mean, we know we're all helpers, and we don't want to ask for help. And so our accountability and, and our measuring stick is the people that work with us. So it's, it's always easy to walk in you know, to the department and, and point to somebody else that's, that, that's more of a mess than you are. And, and that really is how I measured. I was like, so I'm, you know, I know I'm not the same. I know uh, I'm hurting. I know that I've got unresolved grief. I, I, I didn't know how to articulate it at that point, but losing friends in the line of duty, um, you know, losing friends to suicide, I, I didn't know what to do with it. And so we get really good at compartmentalizing everything because that's what we're trained to do. But what nobody had trained me to do and, and what we're trying to do now with Responder Health is how do you process that stuff? How do you unpack it? Uh, when I first saw my counselor in 2005, very first counselor that I went to, and, and she's amazing. I'll give a shout out to Dr. Kathy Thomas because she's uh, amazing with first responders. But she had started working with Oklahoma City folks. And, um, you know, she said, you have done a great job of putting all your emotional garbage into a bag uh, and you carry it around like Santa Claus and nobody's ever taught you how to take it out to the curb. And so it's, it's, it's almost like this badge of honor that, wow, I've been through a lot of crap. And, uh, but I, but I, I got to keep pushing forward because that's what we do. Yeah, and it certainly is. And, and one of the things that I think is important that, you know, you talk about is, you know, we have a lot of the skill that we're able to take care of other people but we are not good at taking care of ourselves. And if we want to be able to start to think about this from getting, I love how you say, you know, getting healthy, because really, you know, when we think about that, it almost sounds like, you know, you got to lose some weight or it almost sounds like you got to control your blood pressure, but getting healthy yeah. mentally is just as important. And uh, I think you bring that up and you say that very, very well, but you know, the people that are out there that may be feeling a little bit lost in this process, I mean, what are the, you know, what are the tools that uh, are out there that now can kind of help them, um, you know, put themselves back into a uh, healthier mode? Yeah, it's, um, you know, it, it, the community of first responders, it, you know, one of the things that, that I think is important is, is changing the conversation, uh, changing the, the narrative of the fact that I, I think, you know, and I'm seeing it more and more um, over the last five, six years. I mean, I, I don't think most of us 10 years ago were talking about wellness or resiliency. That wasn't really something that we were trained on, um, you know, to understand what that was. But how do you normalize? Think of all the skill sets that we have to have as first responders, all the specialties of, you know, if, if, if I'm a paramedic EMS and I've got to go in and, and handle this scene and think through everything. If I'm a firefighter, I've got all of these special tools. If I'm a police officer, I've got specialized training and stuff. Um, if you're not training on, on how to be healthy, um, then, then you're not going to know what to do. And I think most people know that they're struggling, but they have no idea where to go with it. So, you know, peer support for me, um, even before we had a team, what, what my friend did, to, uh, you know, I had a friend that pulled me aside one day. That's how I got help. He pulled me aside and said, you're, you're a mess. And, 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 you know, we all see it 
and I'm getting to the point that I'm worried about you. So the the, the fat and and you know it, it wasn't anything official. It was a coworker that had the ability and the courage to step forward and say, "I'm I'm really worried about you as your friend and as your coworker because you're you're out here." you know, on, on scenes with me and, and, and doing work that, that you're not okay. And, and we've got to get you somewhere. So I, I think what, what we're really trying to focus on, what I see that is, has been successful is if agencies have good plans for intervention, if employees know that they have ac- good access and, and availability that goes through something besides EAP, where they don't have to worry that my management's going to find out about this, my HR is going to know about this. How do we set up confidential stuff in place? And, and you know, whether it's a peer, whether it is a hotline like we have uh, with Responder Health where you have peers answering the line and people may, you know, you may have a great peer team, but you may not want to talk to somebody face-to-face that you work with every day. But I think that one of the things that that is really important as well is when you talk to EAP, uh, not only the things that you mentioned in the sense of, um, uh, you know, being part of the organization and is my organization going to know, but they really don't know how to deal with EMS people. They don't know how to deal with first responders. They don't know how to deal with police officers. And this is really a totally, you know, different, uh, you know, kettle of fish that you start to deal with. that I think really kind of moves us now into the process of the development of responder health. And maybe you could just, if we switch gears a little bit, maybe you could just kind of talk to us about the catalyst of what, what gave you the uh, inspiration to start responder health and uh, you know, where did it kind of come from? Where's the brainchild? Um, you know, the brainchild is, is, is me and a lot of folks that I worked with through you know, the last half of my career um, from our, our, our peer team and working with others. And I, I was, uh, you know, I was blessed enough to, I got to, to work when I was in DC national police week for about 12 years. And I was, you know, every year the, the families and the coworkers of, of officers killed in line of duty would, would come into town for a week. And we would, uh, we, you know, we had a ton of counselors, a ton of peers, did a lot of one-on-one crisis work, um, a lot of group sessions of just debriefings and give, seeing, seeing the difference that it would make in having access when you realize you're not the only person that's walking through this. Uh, and I should go back, you know, my, my friend Dave that pulled me aside that day. Um, the reason I listened to him and I didn't even know his, his background story because he really didn't talk about it. But, you know, he said, I, I was, um, you know, at the Oklahoma bombing for, for three months. Uh, you look like I did seven years ago. And it was that ability to, to, talk to me where I was in the middle of, of my brokenness and my pain and realized that I wasn't nearly as alone as I thought, um, you know, that, that it absolutely, here's somebody I respect and I've worked with and I had no idea that he had gone through this and gotten help and, and been better. So, um, you know, I, I really just think that the process of, of making sure that we have access to the right resources, you're absolutely right. EAP. Uh, and again, I, I, the, told you this before i don't like the eap bash because i think that they're they're a good program for general stuff but there's a it's a complete difference than it, it's it's like needing a trauma surgeon and going to a, a local clinical care with a general practitioner uh you, you're not going to be able to get the same care uh so it, it's 
what I realized, I mean, I, I would talk to cops and firefighters, paramedics that they were like, yeah, you know, I finally reached out, went through EAP, got an appointment, had my three sessions scheduled. Um, but within 10 minutes of me talking to the counselor, I had them in tears and I'm the one giving them a hug saying it's okay. Uh, because they, they weren't, you know, trained and equipped to deal with the things that, that we need to talk about. How do you talk about the bad accident scenes, the, the dead kids, the, the, the you know, burned bodies, those are things that most people don't have to deal with. But, you know, most first responders see more things in their first year and a half, two years than, than other people will see in their whole lives. It becomes a, you know, I, I always talk about it's n- normal trauma on our job. You, people don't call 911 because, it, you know, it, it, because it's a good day. We're always responding to people in, in emergency and crisis situations and we, we get used to it. Uh, I was talking to a firefighter and paramedic today, and uh, they're like, you know, I always go back and talk about the first three to five years because that's, you know, those are all my old stories. But then you get used to it and you get numb to it. And, you know, so is it like, are, are the days that I'm doing now not nearly as exciting as it was when I was first on in my first three or four years? Or am I just completely numb to, to what I see all the time? And that's the hard part is just trying to get folks saying, if you feel, you know, I have a, I have a good friend that I uh, worked with and he works with us at Responder Health uh, as one of our training coordinators. But he was talking about when he was in his PTSD of feeling like he's wrapped in cellophane. Like I'm, I'm seeing life through, through a different lens and a blur. And there would be moments when you can come out of it, but then it, it, you, it immediately comes back and you feel wrapped up. So, you know, how, how do we get our folks that are, are struggling to the right place and know that if you step forward and say, I need help, that I'm not going to lose my job? Yeah, but let's, Because let's, I, I think if you, if you do 25, 30 years in this job and you're yeah. not affected, you're probably not wired right. Yeah. Well, I think that one of the things, too, is that, you know, it's being able to have the mechanisms in place that allow you to deal with, uh, you know, it's not compartmentalizing. And I don't know that we were taught, um, you know, certainly I'm a little bit older in my, uh, I guess, late 50s now as I just went over 55 to 56. Um, but yeah. certainly the, you know, the younger generation today, no one's teaching us how to deal with these types of things, at least back in the olden days, some of the, uh, uh, you know, the baby boomers were kind of giving us some of those tips that were kind of helping yeah. us have a greater, uh, a safer career. But let me ask you this. I mean, there is a big stigma and Kelly and I talk about this on this show all the time that, and you mentioned it earlier. Uh, you know, when you first started, it was the suck it up mentality. How do you give yeah. people the confidence and the comfort to say, come forward and let somebody else, you know, work with you on your challenge to, you know, to, to get you from beyond that cellophane or, or that, uh, you know, seeing things through a different lens, uh, you know, place that you're yeah. in right now. Yeah. And, and you know, I'll, I'll go to two things that I think that, that I'm, when I, when I'm, working with an agency and, 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 you know, either implementing responder health and giving them access to stuff or I'm, I'm you know, bringing them on as, a, a, as a, a client, you have to, one, you have to have leadership now that promotes it because I, I think that, that what you've seen change over the last 10, 15 years is a, is a shift in the folks that came on in the 70s and 80s 
and didn't, you know, it, it absolutely was a suck it up mentality. You didn't, it, the only thing that you did was choir practice and drink and maybe talk about stuff then, but there was no other option. So you have to have lead, leadership has started to change. You've got people now that came on in the nineties and the you know, early two thousands that, that had a different experience than those, those, those folks that, that were the rock solid. We got to be John Wayne. We have to be this warrior. We have to be this. You can still be all that. And, and hurt and you can still do all that and be broken. That's, that's not the end of your story. And that's, you know, so having leadership that steps forward and says, we're not going to allow, um, you know, our suicide rate to be two and three times higher than our line of duty death rate anymore. We're going to talk about this. But then the second thing is if you get, you, you got a good leadership in the department, you still have to train all of your frontline supervisors. How do you, you know, because it's the frontline ones that, that are dealing, that are out there on the streets every day that see if somebody's struggling. So how do you recognize that? How do we train our leadership? How do we train our supervisors to be able to recognize that it's okay? And then how you, you, you really, you, you can't mess this up. It's like when you build a peer support team. If you break confidentiality with a peer support team, you're done. You know, you, no, nobody's going to come back if, if they know that it's not a safe place. You have to build something for your department where if you stand for, stand up and say, you know, as, as a leader, we're, we're going to help you if you ask for help. And then you, you go back to the old route of, you know, if somebody's messed up, we're just going to cut you to the curb, fire you and start over with someone else. Uh, your, your folks are going to see it's And, and the, the departments where I see success, it's where some, it takes one person to get help and then be able to come back and say that was the best decision I ever made and it's the best experience. So you've got a lot of people probably that have, have been able to get help on their own. What we need to do is get those people, encourage those people to step forward because it's so important. You know, I, I felt obligated after I got healthy. I felt obligated. You know, shame on me if I don't teach others that it's okay to, to, to go up and ask for help. Didn't make me any less tough. Didn't make me any less uh, of, being the warrior that that you know that I, I, I saw myself and hoped that I was that I, I was uh, this person that could go out and face anything. When you're doing that, you have to have that skill set and belief that you can go out there and do that every day. But then when you when you feel like you're living a lie, and you feel like if anybody finds out this deep dark, dark secret that I'm really struggling, what's going to happen? So you know it, it's it, it is absolutely changing the narrative. It's changing the culture. Um, and and giving people, I will tell you now that most departments, uh, you know, we're, we're seeing peer teams develop. We're seeing more opportunities uh, for folks, and that and that's really, you know, we we will definitely talk about, you know, explain what we do with responder health. But those are the the three kind of pillars uh, and tiers that we focus on. Are do you have good intervention plans? Do you know what you're going to do in the middle of the night when you have an employee in crisis that is finally falling, you know, they're, they're at the point where they're falling apart. What are we going to do with them? Are we going to, how do we get them to the right place? So do you have a plan for that? Do you have a plan for uh, aftercare and how we're going to make sure that we get them back healthy on the job? And, and how do we just promote wellness and talk about that you, you have to learn the skill sets. It's something you got to practice um, for you and your family to be able to, to go through your whole career and be able to retire as a healthy person. 
Yeah, I mean, I, I think that there's a lot of great information, and you've certainly given us a lot to think about. And I think that one of the things that we've got to be able to realize is that we don't have to do this by ourselves. We may be feeling different. We may be feeling funny. We may be feeling tired. We may be feeling angry, Dan. And this may be part, be part mm-hmm. of a bigger issue that we're just not addressing. But, you know, for the folks that are listening that may want to get in touch with you or they may want to learn more about Responder Health, what's the best way they can do that? Yeah, we so www.responderhealth.com, and uh, and then we have if if you look up on Facebook, uh, Responder Health uh, page where you know we have several thousand followers and put out information all the time. Uh, really, what we're trying to do is is like I said, create a, a change in the narrative and community, but make sure that you know, whether it's through us or through something else, how do we make sure the departments are really focusing on this? where their folks have a safe place to go and they know they have a safe place to go. It sounds really great. Uh, It sounds really great. And hopefully if you need a little bit of uh, assistance with some uh, mental wellness, this is a great uh, opportunity. And Dan Phillips, I want to thank you so much for joining us on Inside EMS. And you gotta, you gotta come back again, right? Because this is certainly not a topic that we can handle in 30 minutes. No, we're, we're scratching the surface, yeah, and, and I agree with your, your comment on the anger. So there's so many different levels to this that, um, that I'd love to talk more about. So I, I appreciate, appreciate you having me on and, and really just uh, in, encourage your folks to anybody out there that, that is you know, needing assistance or help, there are good places that they can go and they can safely do it, and that's the most important thing they need to know. Very important, and and it's about time. It, it means uh, you know I'm tired yeah. of hearing I'm tired of hearing about the responders that we're losing because they don't know how to cope. But Dan, thanks again for yeah. joining us, and for everybody out there. I mean, you heard the show, and uh, maybe uh, some of this resonated with you, or maybe some of this uh, uh, is uh, pointing to a friend or a colleague that you know, and you may be able now to give them some advice. And uh, so go ahead and take that advice and kind of do what you want with it to, uh, you know, get yourself healthy, as Dan says. But uh, I want to go ahead and just change topics a little bit. And hopefully you're enjoying the show. You enjoy the message. You enjoy being entertained and picking up a little bit of knowledge. And please take a moment to rate us and review us on Apple Podcasts. And of course, you can contact the Inside EMS team at the show at ems1.com and share your ideas, suggestions, and feedback. Or if you'd like to join as a guest, I got to tell you, we're seeing a lot of people who are reaching out to us with great show suggestions and even wanting to come on the show as a guest. So uh, thank you for doing that. And uh, for Kelly Grayson, I'm Chris Sabalero. We look forward to chatting with everyone again next week.